You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I'm your co-host, PJ, along with Matt Shiles, who is our director of missions. And so he works with Pastor Gus in our commission. So that's our fourth C commission. And so just, again, wanted to bring that up just in case people didn't know or yeah. maybe forgot. Yeah, it's a great reminder. So, yeah. Well, hey, it's good to see you. Yeah, this glad Monday. to be here. It's been a long weekend. Has it? Well, yeah, I really, I did. It's so funny when I, when I finished preaching on Saturday, I'm like, oh gosh, I, I need you, you know. I was like, oh, this is. I feel like this is just so much, and I didn't think that it would be like over people's head per se. I mean, I really try to. Oh, I say dumb it down, but put it in a way where package it in a way where people could understand it and follow it. But oh my god, yeah, I probably gave a week's worth of a seminary class in fifty four minutes. And there's some content that you didn't even get to. Okay, I know, I know. And which you know, cult, it, it, cultivate is a lot. Mm. I mean, and again, not to say that connect wasn't a lot or care or commission won't be a lot. Because I'm like, well, how do I, how do I tailor that down? Because the thing is, is I didn't want this to be a long series. I wanted it to give an overview of each of the C because we haven't done that yet in yeah. in this deep. You know, when I say in this deep of a way, yeah. And so I, I so I, I knew going into it was going to be a lot, but to in some sense chart it, you, you know, and it, the the biblical theme of it, I'm like, ah, okay. So so I am going to have to pivot this week and figure out how I'm going to bring about care and commission. But nevertheless, I so just apologize once again if you're like, oh my gosh, that was just so 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 much, and you overwhelmed me. Okay, I'm very very. Sorry, and <laughs> so we'll. Uh, well, yeah. If you're listening and watching now, you're going to get more. You will get more. Yeah, you know and that's the benefit. The, we're we're going to which dig is why in. I love it. Yeah, I love extra takes. We're going to dig into it, maybe clarify some things, talk about some things, but but yeah, we we have so much kind of to get to, and I'm excited for this conversation. So we are in the next week of our engaged series. We're going through the four C's, and we're in cultivate, as Pastor Josh said, and in the scripture. That is uh, grounding us is Acts two forty one to forty two as well as forty six, um, but really you laid out Genesis to Revelation as you have been doing every week, and this was January twenty seventh and twenty eighth. So we'll start with the main point. The main point is Jesus expects his followers, aka his church, to cultivate disciples and leaders so that they that they might reflect God's glory in all spheres of life. Mm. And you wanted to ask three questions. First of all, why do we cultivate? Second of all, what do we do to cultivate? And finally, how does cultivate impact our life? Before we really dig into uh, each of these, because I do think there's a, there's something great to talk about with, with all of them. First of all, I want to recognize, so we had some honor guests here this weekend. So our partner with, with IPM yep. in Manaus. And Pastor Francisco and Pastor Desjard. And what is so great about partnering with other churches around the world, as I was kind of reflecting on this week of Cultivate, 
is we get to see how each of these forces is demonstrated in their context. Yeah. And when we were there a, a couple months ago, they they do all these forces, but specifically the cultivate, not that they call it that, but the cultivate piece, they do it really, really strongly. Yeah. And and one of the kind of the ways that they do that is is in their small groups. So they have 450 small groups that meet every single week and go through go through the sermon. But something that kind of struck me and we have a picture here was was on their on their wall in the worship center is is this kind of big long diagram of of what you know what they are doing, what they are helping their church do in terms of cultivating themselves as disciples and leaders. And it was just very kind of uh, engaging and inspiring to to see that. So yeah. before we kind of jump into these questions, anything you'd like to add in terms of IPM and how they specifically cultivate? No, yeah. I mean, it, it was neat kind of being there, seeing what they do, how they articulate it. Mm. And the thing that I would just reiterate and just try to under, you know, kind of help our people to understand the connection is, all right, I go back to our mission statement. Mm. Our mission statement is that Northland Church exists to glorify God as we participate in his mission of redeeming a people from all peoples by engaging neighbors and nations to be fully alive in King Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And so so that that phrase, redeeming a people from all peoples, yeah. okay, that that's huge because that that's his mission, mm. is that he he's, he's on mission to redeem a people from all people so that they might reflect his glory in all spheres of life. So, and you, they can't do that unless they become fully alive in King Jesus. So all of these C's, connect, cultivate, care, and commission, those are the four things that God's people do in order to participate in his mission. Mm-hmm. So so this idea of connect is that we looked at the, the fall, you know, the previous week, so that's again part of mission because now as we connect, we you know weekly with the people of God, we're we're in some sense coming back to gather to show what God is building, so that we might attune our hearts corporately to worship our King. Just, just again, attune our hearts, our minds that hey, we're 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 not we're not you know of this world. We're we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're of a different world. And then cultivate is this idea of shaping and forming, molding us more into his image. So that's why this idea of cultivate, spiritual formation, discipleship is ultimately missional Mm -hmm. because he's redeeming a people from all peoples. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of redemption is now he's going to cultivate. Mm -hmm. He's going to shape them into his image. And so that's why... You know, and and again, I'm charting it throughout, and so I'm I'm going to kind of bring it all together in commission and how they all work, you you know, simultaneously together to ultimately have God's people participate in His mission. So, so again, I don't want us to ever forget about the mission statement and thus the mission of God from beginning to end, because these C's they are the action items of God's people to participate in His mission. So, just really wanted to drill down on that. Yeah, and every single one of them complements each other so well. That's what I've I've so loved about this series so far is that I feel like, man, if if you miss a week, um, you are really missing the totality of of what we're you know what you're really laying out and what we're building here of the four C's. Yes. So think of it; th- these messages are in some sense the four dimensions. Mm. 
You, you know, so if you do miss one week, you just miss you know, again. You you don't you miss a dimension. Mm. So when you start laying them all on one another, you're like, oh my lanta, oh like this is what God's people do. Yeah. And 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 that's the other part of it is is that I want to show how these four C's are not just concentrated in the New Testament. Right. That these C's have been there since the very beginning. When Adam and Eve were created. So, so again, that, that's one of the reasons why it does take a little while to, mm. because I do. And so here's another reason too. And again, I mean, I kind of apologize tongue in cheek, but I don't, right? I mean, like I, I want you to be able to sit and understand the, the bigger story, but I also understand that it is a lot of information. If this is the first time you're hearing it or you're trying to digest it, I mean, I get it, mm. but. The the fascinating part about what I would say that I'm doing in this series is I'm actually I'm actually given an apologetic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so apologetics just simply you know means or an, you know an apology is a defense of the faith. Now in the 20th century, a lot of our apologetics. They, they were, you know, kind of logical, rational, fact-based apologetics. And what this series is, it's more of a narrative apologetic. Mm. So you have to understand, like, the kind of culture in which we live, they, they're not going, well, give us the, give us the, the five reasons for the existence of God. Something that Thomas Aquinas did, like, here, here are the five reasons why, you, you know, the, the existence of God is, is real or that God's existence is real. So, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not against those apologetics. I think those definitely play a role, but you have people today that goes, I, I you know, I don't even care if Jesus lived. Like, well, you can give me the facts all day long. You can give me all of the sources outside the biblical source and go, here's what they say about Jesus. They don't care. Yeah. But what they do care about is what works for their life because they're all about picking and choosing mm-hmm. what works for their life. Like you have a lot of people in our culture today, they use this phrase, I, I'm just going to do me. Mm-hmm. So you do you, I, I'll, I'll do me. And, and again, that, and, and in some sense, doing you or it's not based upon, in some sense, facts. They're actually based upon feelings of what works and what actually satisfies them. But they are truthful to themselves because they'll go, you know, it's really not working. Let me try something else. And so when you take a message series like this, and even particularly the message that that I gave in terms of cultivate, they can in some sense resonate with even that image. Like, okay, I, I actually feel like my life is like that. Like, I don't tell a lot of people that, you know, they might say that, but they might look at that image and go, that's my life. Image of the messed up animal. The image yeah. of the, that's my life. Yeah. Again, they, yeah. they wouldn't say that to people because they're try, they're trying to pick and choose what works for them. Yeah. And it's yeah. not necessarily based upon reason and logic and facts. It's, it's based upon something that they love, mm. what they feel would work for them. Oh, I really like that. Let me, let me see if that would work. Mm. And so now when you give them this overarching story of how there is a creator who created humanity in his image, and he wants them to be conformed and shaped and molded more into his image, and you actually chart that and show how the Bible 
the 66 individual books that make up our Bible from Genesis to Revelation in a 1,500-year span, 40 different authors, three different continents, two kind of primary language used, Hebrew and Greek, how it could have such a consistent theme about the idea of cultivation, Mm. of being shaped and molded. And so this message and this series really is a narrative apologetic to the idea of connection and worship, you know, in some sense, gathering together with the corporate people to worship, this idea of cultivation being shaped and formed into something. Then we'll look at care, the idea of where does it, why do we even have this desire to even like care for creation, to care for people? And then the idea of mission, you know, kind of missions, like, like we got, we got to do something and we got, we got to spread something. So, like it's a narrative apologetic to the defense of the Christian faith. Mm. Yeah, I never heard it described that way, a narrative apologetic. Because ultimately, and this is what's so important, our witness in the world, and I'm not just talking about our verbal witness, although that is a part mm. of our witness, but our witness, what what we do with our life, how we live, what we say, our witness is the apologetic. Right. And so, so these four C's are the things that we do as God's people to, in some sense, give off an apology mm. that our faith is not just something that we extracted out of nowhere. Our faith is the faith that has been handed down from the saints that have been connected all the way to mm. Adam and Eve from the very beginning. Well, and to that point concerning who or what we worship, you had a you had a statement. You said, if your life is a mess, you should consider who or what you are worshiping. Yeah. Well, and I, and I got a book, and here's a book that I'm currently reading right now. It's called The Augustine Way, Retrieving a Vision for the Church's Apologetic Witness. Mm. So so I'm loving this book. So I'm about a little over halfway done. Mm. And if you know anything about St. Augustine or St. Augustine, however you want to pronounce his name, he wrote various books, but two particular books that have been some some prominent seminal books of scholars and theologians in terms of reading them, digesting them, digesting them have, have been confessions and then the city of God. Mm-hmm. And so now in the city of God, he writes about the city of God and the city of man. But here's, I'm, I'm quoting from the book. So in the city of God, Augustine contrasts these two cities, the city of God, the city of man. The most significant difference between the city of man and the city of God is discovered in what they love. And what they love, meaning what they ultimately worship. Mm. Augustine writes, two loves then have made two cities. Mm. Love of self, even to the point of contempt for God, made the earthly city. And love of God, even to the point of contempt for self, made the heavenly city. And these cities are what they love. So when, and what, so what Augustine would say in around 80, 400. So I think 410, you know, year 410, I think is when he wrote the city of God, I believe. So it was around the early 400s. 
He's going to make, he's going to actually write this book, The City of God, as an apology, as an apologetic witness of what was going on at his time. And go, if you look at the cities of man and look how corrupt they are, look at how broken they are, look at how messed up they are, look at how divided they are. Let me tell you, those cities, the reason why they are what they are is because those cities have been constructed out of a worship of worship of self. But when you, when you now start building out this, this, this future vision of the city of God, of what's coming based upon the written word of what we know, based upon what Jesus says, I've come to make all things new. When you look at that city and what it is constructed of and how beautiful and harmonious, how they are united even in their diversity, how there is love, how there's forgiveness, how there's grace, how there's mercy. Like when you start looking at the construction of that city, well, what is it founded on? Well, first and foremost, it is founded on God's love for mankind, and it is also reciprocated of mankind's love for God. Mm-hmm. And so, so again, what you love, what you ultimately worship mm-hmm. will be reflected in how your life is lived. Yeah, and and I think when you talk about, you know, why the the narrative narrative of scripture can be so compelling. You know, we we can all get to a point in our life where our life is just a mess and to ask that question in an honest way, whether we whether we say it to others or not, but what am I worshiping? And it, it's essentially like you talked about that the picture of that animal and it is is that is that what my life has been, right? Has it just been channel surfing? Is that and then what has that gotten me? Yeah. So I think that's an incredible thing for us to just, you know, we, we can all get to, and then as believers, we can reflect on how we, how we have, have been like that, how we are tempted to be like that. But then we can also see that in others and, and, uh, you know, see how that's really a felt need in, in so many of our lives and, and just ask really maybe pointed, but simple questions like how, you know, How's that been working for you? Yeah. And and just because people go to church, just because in some sense they might have a Christian worldview, doesn't mean they don't look like that that animal. Right. Cause cause that statement we could we could you know think, oh yeah, you're just talking to all the non-believers. No, no, no. Like I I've I took that like, hey, you you're you're talking to me. Like I better be careful of what I'm worshiping because we all have a tendency to wander. Well, be, one one of the ways that even many Christians viewed, in some sense, the Bible, the church, their relationship with God in the past, like you know, around the nineteenth, twentieth centuries, so you know, eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds, is in a in a fragmented way, meaning that. You know, Monday through Saturday, I, you know, I just live my life. I go to work, do my family thing, and then I, I go to worship God on Sunday. And so there was this, there was this divorce between the secular and the sacred. And so they saw Monday through Saturday as the secular space and Sunday as the sacred space. Well, no, no, no. What we see with the idea of cultivate and really what you see with the idea of God's mission of redeeming a people from all peoples is this integrated life of secular and sacred because it's all sacred. 
we're all saying, again, that's why we go all the way back to the garden, is that when he, when he created mankind in his image to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion, he created them to relate, create, and operate. And so it is all of life. That's why all of life is worship, you know, worship. So here's the thing. If you, if you get your loves out of whack, you will have a distorted life. Mm. So if you love relationships with maybe your spouse or maybe your kids, maybe you're trying to find a, you know, maybe you ultimately love yourself. You try to relate to yourself as in some sense the, the supreme being or whatnot. If you start ascribing ultimate love to any other relationship other than your relationship with God, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, your life is going to come out of whack. But then another thing that we've seen in the 18th, 19th, you know, kind of century, 20th century, you know, is that we're going to be workaholics. So we're going to ultimately love what we do 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you, you know, and so now instead of, you know, instead of looking at our work, looking at our vocation, looking at our career in a manner to reflect God and his glory, we've now turned our work into glory itself. And so here's the thing. So if you have the ultimate love of work, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a, you're going to have a jacked up, distorted image and then operating mm-hmm. this idea of ruling and stewarding if you're looking at your life and going i'm the ultimate one in charge i, I you know the buck stops with me i'm going to operate you know my my time my talents my treasure i'm going to i'm going to look at everything in terms of creation and what's at my disposal as mine or to be leveraged for my purposes mm-hmm. i want to tell you if you're going to look that way mm. then you will have a distorted image and what we saw this week and this is where we can drill down even more is that if if Jesus is the center, if God is the center and you're allowing him to speak life mm-hmm. and light into your life in the way that you have a community, that you relate and in the way that you have now authority, that you're digesting uh, the word and letting the word give give shape and formation to all the things that you do in your life and you're exercising spiritual disciplines that help actually now shape what you know and where you are partnered with or who you are partnered with, then you will see this beautiful shape come to life in your life and there will be a consistency and a harmony and a beauty that you never even thought possible. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's so very important that we not only answer that question, what are we worshiping, not just on Sunday, but also the rest of the week. And, and that could as you illustrated so well, that could be a different answer, right? And then that creates a, this type of Frankenstein, even Frankenstein type of believer. And mm. before we realize it, our, our allegiances are, are separated and we know that that never ends. Yeah. Well, so so let's dig into those three questions. Okay. First of all, the the why do you, do we cultivate? What's so interesting about this is you actually spent almost all your time going through the why do we cultivate? And really you you took us through a theology of discipleship. And 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 I see how how that fit into the the grand narrative just like you had in previous weeks. When I think about a a message on discipleship or message on, you know, kind of to a church on on cultivate, I immediately and I think a lot of us do. We immediately go to the the what and the how. We go to, 
you know, what the word's going to do to us. We're, we're, you know, how are we going to do it? What's the structure, the process? What are the spiritual disciplines? You could spend hours and hours and hours, messages and messages, just dissecting all that. But you didn't do that. You started with the right. why. Yeah. And really, you showed that that there is, you know, kind of a, a supreme importance of the why before we get to the other things, which I think was really profound because if if some of you are like me, you just you want to get to the doing, right? You want to get to the specifics. And and I think that's kind of a cultural thing for us. Like we're ready to go and do it. And you didn't you didn't let us jump there. So I'd love for you to unpack a little bit why why was that important for you to start with the why of this idea of before we even jump into the what and the how and the nitty gritty, like, you know, a theology of discipleship, not just in the New Testament, but all the way back to the Old Testament. Yeah. I've been frustrated for years of how people just want to jump to it. And here's what I, to be honest, like we want, we want to jump to it. But when we look at the state of the church, we haven't done very much with jumping to it either. You know, so you, you can jump to the spiritual disciplines. You can, in some sense, jump to, well, we, we need the word. But when you lose the context of, mm. of, you know, okay, when you lose the context of why, then, okay, then, then really, okay, why, why is what we do that important anyways? And so I, I, I wrote this on my little sticky note. When the church, when Christians don't understand this existence and living with the larger narrative or the grand story of the Bible, it waters down their understanding and actually hurts their overall witness in the world. So let me, I'm going to say that again. I wrote this down this morning. So, did that, so that was extra. This, this was extra. I wrote it down this morning in prep, preparation. Oh. So when the church, when Christians don't understand their existence and living with a larger grand story, so that's what, what I mean by meta-narrative, mm. in the Bible, it waters down their understanding and actually hurts their overall witness in the world, which is why if you just jump to, well, we just need we just need to love the word and we need to you know do spiritual disciplines, okay? Yes, we do. But when you lose sight of the overall, you know, overarching narrative, grand narrative of what God has always wanted to do, because here's the thing. What, what plays a central role in the garden? Hmm. The word does. Okay. So, right. so the word plays a central role there. That's why, you know, when I'm reading Exodus 19, fully obey. And he, mm-hmm. that that he commanded. Well, what plays a central role? Word. So that's the thing. And, and and but if you understand this, this is why this is so important. Oh my gosh! Like I love this stuff. Is all right. So Adam, the word plays a central role in the garden. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it, mm-hmm. so he gets kicked out. And Eve, and, and then Israel, the word's going to play a central role in the promised land. They didn't obey it. They get kicked out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm about I'm about to give a zinger. So if you're you're watching this, I'm about to give a zinger. If you're listening to this, I'm about to give a zinger. Okay, here's the zinger. All right. So if it's already this pattern of humanity that even though in 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 God's people the word plays a central role, but Adam doesn't do it, Israel doesn't do it. Then you look at people who say they're part of the church and they don't do it, but yet you read First Peter two that actually is connected back to Exodus nineteen, but there's a huge difference. 
Okay. Okay? Yeah. Exodus 19, there is a conditional clause that if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. Yeah. You will be my kingdom of priests. You will be a holy nation. In mm. 1 Peter 2, 9, and just so that you know that I am not making this stuff up. So 1 Peter 2, 9, just, just, just going to read it. And here it is. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. What's the difference? The difference is is that through Jesus's death and resurrection Mm. and through your confession of who Jesus is, he has given you a new heart and he has imputed his righteousness and his spirit in you, which then makes you crave his word. Mm. And see, if you didn't know the grand narrative of scripture and you just went immediately to do's, that's what Adam and Eve, that's what they went to. That's what Israel went to. Hey, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But they were missing the heart of discipleship, mm. which is Jesus's heart. Mm. So that's the reason why it was so important for us to do the overarching narrative to show you that throughout redemptive history, God's people, quote unquote, have always failed, even though the word has supposed to have been the center. Now, because of what Jesus has done, the word can be the center, even though we are still in the process of being sanctified, shaped and formed into his image. I think that helps us take the emotion out of it, because when we when we jump to the how and the what, especially at the beginning of the year, there's a lot of excitement, right? But then once we don't feel it, it's easy to yeah. to get away from it, right? So what I'm hearing from you is is to to really know the the heart, the the why, and you know the knowledge, but also the heart behind you know who who God is, and that is ultimately going to draw us closer to Him. And it's going to be more about his knowledge of who he is as opposed to just what all the other religions are, which is just trying harder. Yeah. And we have to really, 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 really fight against that because I think that's in our nature is just like, let's just try harder. And that's kind of kind of what we're saying. Yeah. We might not be realizing it, but that's what we're saying. We're, well, why are you spending all this time, you know, talking about the Old Testament? Just just give us a list of spiritual disciplines. Not that anyone told you that, but like yeah. that's. That's kind of like, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, this is so compelling, but like, this is different than what I was expecting. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm expecting a list of spiritual disciplines and you gave them to us, but like, it was quick. Well, yeah, because, well, again, because I think if you've been in church any any amount of time, you've heard of disciplines. Sure. You've heard of spiritual disciplines. I mean, yes, the biggest part was to unpack the why. Like, here's a, an example in terms of just like Old Testament and understanding. All right, take the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. You shall not have any other gods before me. And then the second one was you shall not make any idols. Now, why why would he tell them not to make any idols? Because they ultimately were supposed to be the idols. Right. They were supposed to be the images of God. God God is not inhabited by images in the sense of what we create with our hands. No, he's the one who created us with his hands. Mm. He's the one who got in the dirt 
and formed Adam. Mm. He's the one who caused a deep sleep on Adam, extracted the rib, and fashioned Eve. He's the one who fashioned an idol, an image of himself. And so they didn't need to make any idols of their God. No, Mm -hmm. they were supposed to image him. But what was fascinating, again, this is what, you know, so fascinating is, all right, so God's going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. He's going to take them to the promised land. What does God tell Israel to do to all of the inhabitants of the promised land? Kill them all. Kill them all. Wipe them out. Now, two particular reasons. One, there was this act of judgment Mm. that God had allowed his grace and his mercy to run its course over 400 years. Mm. And now after, after his grace and mercy run, you know, run their course there for the inhabitants of the promised land. Now he's going to use his people who he has just redeemed to come in and be the wrath, to be the judgment of God on these people. But the second reason is, is that he knew if they were, if there were any inhabitants left who worshiped other gods, it would become a, a, a snare. Mm. It would, would, would actually become a nuisance to Israel. Mm. Well, here's what we know. So Joshua, the book of Joshua, that's the, that's the historical document that is charting the conquest of the land. Do they drive out? Do they kill all the inhabitants? No. Actually, by many scholars' estimation, they actually left quite a few. And what you see after that happened is that it's just going to be one long, arduous journey of roller coaster of them serving God, but then them turning to other gods, them serving God, then them turning to other gods. And so, and then it sets up this long kind of history where what you see is that they did not have a heart Mm. for Yahweh. And so, so, and that's where when, when Jesus saves us, you know, that's why the New Testament will, will tell us, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, that now you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind based upon what Jesus has done, mm. what Jesus has given you. He's, again, he's given you his, his life, his nature. Mm. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's, you know, imputed into us his righteousness. And so now we have everything at our disposal because of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection to do what Israel could not do. Mm. And you want me to give you another little fun, fun tidbit? Sure. Okay. So, so Abraham in Genesis 12 is called, you know, God calls him out yeah. and he, he tells Abraham through you, I'm going to make a, a great nation. Yeah. And through you, I'm going to bless all of the families of the earth. And so you have in Genesis, you know, from Genesis 12 all the way through the end of Genesis, you have this kind of journey of Abraham. And then you, you know, you kind of chart his family and his descendants and then it kind of ends with about, you know, kind of 70 people, you know, that's come from, you know, come from Abraham and now they're living in the land of Egypt. Yep. How much time elapses between the end of Genesis and the, and, and, and the first chapter of Exodus? When they cry out, when Israel cries out. 400 years. About 400 years, okay? And then God's going to send Moses, the deliverer and rescuer of his people, okay? So when Israel falls and they go into exile, 
Okay, mm-hmm. and in some sense, God's going to go dark. He's going to go quiet after Malachi, because the last book in the Old Testament. How many years elapse between the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the birth of Jesus? Four hundred. About four hundred years. And so, what you have, and so when I put up the chart that Jesus is the better Adam in Israel, yeah. he's the better Moses. That's, I mean, these are all connections. And so now what the, what the authors of the gospels are telling us that, that yes, he truly is the better. He is the ultimate high priest. He is the ultimate prophet. He is the ultimate king. He's the ultimate deliverer and rescuer is like, oh my gosh, he has finally come. We don't have to look anywhere else. We don't have to look any further. Mm. He's here. Mm. Amen. So before we move on to the the next question, I do want to do want to ask a question about Jeremiah because you you brought up Jeremiah twenty nine five through six. We've talked about this before, but you made an incredible point that I wanted to talk about. You said the gods of Assyria and Egypt don't ask them to pray for the peace of Babylon, but Yahweh did. What does that say about Yahweh? Well, so not to not not to like give it away, but. You, you know, that that would definitely be part of the commission mm. is that it goes all the way back to Genesis 12 through you, uh, mm. Abraham and your descendants. I will bless all families of the earth. You see, it was never about just creating Israel and putting them in a land just for their own self and for their own purposes. No, they were always stationed there for the glory and the purposes of God. Mm. And so, yeah. That that is just a a a tip of the hat mm. to this idea that God truly loves the nations. So again, I don't want to get it, because I'm gonna I, actually I'm gonna dive a little bit deeper into that particular passage for the commission part. Oh, you are okay. Yeah, you, you know you know well and 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 I'm also going okay. Well, I don't want to give too much away because we got a series coming up. In June, and entitled "The Church in a, in a Divided Democracy," and so I actually want to use Jeremiah, okay. you know, some to to talk about that. So I mean, again, I, I'm just going to give glimpses of it, but it's fascinating because yes, the you know Amun Ra is not coming down and telling the Egyptians, "Hey, I know that you know the Babylonians just kicked your butt." Hey, but when 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 you think about it, won't you pray for them yeah. and pray for their prosperity and their well being? Right, right, right. You know, Chemosh. Yeah. You know, he's not going. I think Chemosh was a Babylonian god. I, I believe. I, don't hold me to it. But uh, yeah. I so I'm almost positive. But, you know, it's not like Kimosh is going to go and go, hey, you know, I, I need you to work for the, the common good of Babylon. So this is a side note. I'm not sure if you're going to get into it. But when you talk about Jeremiah 29, 5 through 6, it's fascinating to me that one of the most quoted singular scriptures for us in our culture is Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> Yeah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yeah, so so how that then connects to, I mean, what we learned in my my Bible interpretation class last last semester was you never interpret individual passages or individual scriptures. It's always passage by passage. So I'm like, man, if you're looking at this passage, five through six is absolutely part of the 11. So I've just been thinking about that and wanting to dig into that a little bit more because- So what do you think? I haven't dug into it yet. Oh, okay. But 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 I but I'm thinking from what you are what you're digging into the last couple of weeks that we are taking twenty nine eleven out of context. Oh gosh. 
You're taking it like way, way out, out of context. Of context. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, because in that context, he's going to say you're going to be here for seventy years. But I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. When we're sending a kid off to college, it's you know. Yeah. So, so even so that so that so the plans that he has for them aren't until the in some sense few like you know plans to give you hope in the future. You, yeah. you know, all, like no, that's coming. But I, I want you to be about this mission right now. So I want you to build houses, plant vineyards, eat their produce, give your children off in marriage. Then I want you to seek the prosperity of the city, work for its behalf. I want you to pray for it. Like therein lies the kind of the missions, the activity that God, you know, God wants them to do. But okay. this is an exile, and this is to their enemies, yeah. brutal, brutal enemies, and this is a forced mission. That they but I to. know the plans I have for you. Okay, so how does that apply to us? Okay, we're exiles. We are. We, we're at, well, yeah, we, we are definitely at, well, I mean, again, like I'll go to First Peter 2 once again. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I mean, so, and again, and elsewhere, the, you know, we're, we're referred to as exiles. So this world, it's not our home. This is, this isn't our promised land. The church, our promised land, our future, new city, Jerusalem, which I'm, what, which is why I always end the, the kind of the why with this future vision, new city, Jerusalem. But earlier in first Peter and, and, and Paul's going to, in multiple books of his, he's going to, pick this out, but I'm just referring to First Peter because that's the book I'm reading devotionally right now. Mm. So here's what he writes in chapter 1, verse 6, 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Mm. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end of the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, and so he's saying, even though you're going to experience a little bit of grief right now, you're going to go through all kinds of trials right now because you're, you're, you're doing so, you're able to do it because you have now this living hope, because he's going to talk about this living hope that we have. This living hope is actually moving you towards future glory. So, so what, what, what Peter's giving the followers of Jesus in, in his day was, was a lot like what Jeremiah, what God through the hand of Jeremiah was given the exiles. Hey, you're going to go through suffering. You're going to go through trials. As you do it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get back to just, just doing the basics of life. And then I want you to do this to the city that, that I've sent you. Yes, pagan, bad, wicked city won't, won't, won't you to do this. But, but here, know this. Here's a living hope hmm. that I know the plans I have for you. Hmm. And so, that's what we have today living under the new covenant in the New Testament times, mm. that our future hope is Jesus coming back 
and bringing heaven to earth and letting them marry one another in the new city, Jerusalem. Mm. So that's what Jeremiah 29, 11 actually means and how it applies to us. Man, we, we, we could keep going under the first question, but I'm going to move us on. The second two questions, what do we do to cultivate and then how does cultivate impact your life? They, they kind of go together, but you laid out three ways to cultivate. You said embed in community. You said submit to the word and exercise spiritual disciplines. One of the comments you made was you are always disciplining yourself. As you are disciplining yourself, you are being shaped into the image of something. Yeah, I, it, it's just, it, it feels like we've, we continually talk about this, but it's so fascinating. I, you know, I know you brought up Gen Z and how they do a good job disciplining themselves on their phones, but man, I would assert we all do. Yeah, we all discipline ourselves. Our, our generation and, and the boomers are great at, disciplining themselves on the phones that there might be different apps that they're using <laughs> might not be using TikTok, but might be using facebook but man we are always constantly disciplining ourselves on our phones and and really i think that goes back to the first point and why it's so important for us to understand the why because because if not we we will just go back to our default it's like that has become our default and it's just you know it the the culture is so strong; it's so hard to pull us away from that. But so, but our, so here's the thing, though. Like, this is why I think going all the way back to Genesis and, and seeing how all this fleshes out is so important. Is that when Adam and Eve were told to do what they did, you, you know, were, were told to do what human beings made in God's image do: mm-hmm. be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. So again, I, I like to take those five things, you know, just just tailor them down to three, relate, create and operate. Mm-hmm. So after so if 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 you if you really do think deeply about that is that that's what human beings do. So if they would have just done done those things that human beings do in accordance with God's command, don't eat from this tree as they would relate, create, and operate, and they would be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, then God's glory would radiate, you know, would, 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 would be reflected through them. Mm. Because sin had, sin had not affected the world. Sin had not, you know, had, sin had not come into their life yet. Mm. But when they failed to obey God, what, what continued to happen? Mankind continued to relate, create, and operate. Mm. Like that's what you have with Genesis 11. They just came and they related with one another. They they created, hey, let's build a city. Let's build a tower. Let, let's create. Right. And, right. Right. and let's do it for our own glory. So we're going to operate the city right. for our own glory. So they did everything that image bearers do, mm. but it was distorted and fragmented, mm. and it did not bring God glory. It did not reflect his glory. It was more about them, mm. which is why God comes and judges them, and they are scattered through the face of the earth. So this is why, so when you say default, our default is to relate, create, and operate because that's what human beings do. Hmm. But it, but that's why like now in Jesus, there, there are these now disciplines because we are learning anew. 
what it truly means to be human and part of a new human race. So here's the thing. We're going to relate. We're going to create. We're going to operate because that's what human beings do. But we've got to now exercise these disciplines that make sure that we craft our relationships, our, you know, our relationships in a manner that reflects God. Mm-hmm. We got to make sure that we are now submitting to authority in a manner that reflects God. Mm. We we got to be exercising these spiritual disciplines that exercises these now new faith muscles that that are now directed towards the development and the conforming and the shaping of God because we have the default. Like so that's where like uh, so 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 we are unhealthy like so maybe you can think of it this way by our default, we can become unhealthy if we just default to eating whatever we want to, you know, just like, you know, but but if we want to get healthy, mm-hmm. then we got to begin to discipline ourselves and pay attention to what we put in our mouths. We got to pay attention to what we do with our bodies. And so mm-hmm. so that, that that's where, again, we're, we're going to do something just as 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 an innate human being. Yeah. But if you want to shape something. Yeah then it can no longer be in some sense the default it's got to it's got to now be intentionality it's got it's actually got to be you know intensity there yeah. so so again we all have the default of relate create and operate but now this cultivation is now the intentionality of God's people in learning what it means to be a human being mm. to be part of God's new community a, a new human race that that's that's the that's the discipleship part. Yeah, and and part of that you did define discipleship. And for those that have been here for a while, you we would have we have heard this definition before, but you added a little bit something new this time. So yeah, I just added the corporate dimension of of a human race, so new human race. So discipleship is learning what it means to be human and part of God's new human race after the image and likeness of Jesus. So I wanted to. Because here's the other thing about Americans, we like to concentrate on our individuality, and a lot of times we're just focusing on the individual and not seeing yeah. the individual as part of the corporate. So this this kind of tweak of definition mm. brings back the corporate dimension of discipleship. Mm. Is that we're learning what it actually does, what what it actually means to be part of the new human race. And so let me also just clarify because I said I don't care if you read a book on discipleship. This is what the definition of discipleship is. So let me just let me clarify that. Okay. Like so, yes, when I say the definition of discipleship. So it doesn't have to be word for word of what I put on here, but it needs to have some kind of dimension that discipleship is being conformed into Jesus's image, that it has Jesus at the center and us being crafted or molded or shaped in his image. And I would I would actually like, because I did feel convicted about this, I would also like it to have a corporate dimension. Because you you, you yeah. cannot be conformed into Jesus's image apart from His church. Yeah, and that and that's really where I I saw you you connecting the the connect piece of the of the four C's so well. And as we are building right these different dimensions, it made so much sense you know so much sense for you to include that. But um, specifically for for our our culture. Um, if you don't put that in there, yeah, it is, it is very individualistic. So, so I love the challenge of, oh, it's not just, it's not just about the individualness of it because as we learned 
with Connect, there is something that happens when we gather together, yeah. right? So let's, let's look at the, let's take Connect and corporate worship and this idea of a new human race mm-hmm. and take the two jingles we've heard so far. You had more of the barbershop jingle, which maybe that was somebody's cup of tea. Then you had the 90s rock version. Maybe that was somebody's cup of tea. Maybe your cup of tea hasn't been sang yet. But but what we see is that because we are individualistic and there are certain likes and styles and preferences that we have that, 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 that might be seen in one group of people, but not in the other. What we're learning in this new human race is how to be united in our diversity and then also to celebrate the diversity. So it's not uniformity in the diversity. It is unity in the diversity and then the celebration of the variety of, in some sense, preferences or genres or styles. And, and that's something that, you know, is, is a tension that we do even have here is that we, we do want to sing hymns. We do want to have modern contemporary style, you, you know, when I say corporate worship songs, we do want to have, you know, I, I like, I like sometimes hip hop. I know that, you know, so, so what we're, what we're really trying to look at is, okay, yeah, so we have this kind of almost like lane that this kind of, when I say at least a default style, Mm. But to celebrate the various genres, like for Christmas, well, not even for Christmas, uh, we we did we did Feliz Navidad, but just recently, a couple of weeks ago, we sang oh, I forget what song, but we had a Spanish ver you know version that that we sang in it. Why? Because we have quite a bit of Spanish speakers, and we want them to know one, we see you, we celebrate you, because we are one people, uni- united in Jesus, yet even in our diversity, and so that's even. Uh, just a glimmer, mm-hmm. a glimpse of how that even plays out in our connect mm-hmm. element here. Yeah, wonderful. So, so this last question that you got to was really tied to this, the second one, and and it was how does cultivate impact your life? Well, before before we get to that question, there was one thing that I did miss. I, I you know, I, I do need to because I had it on a slide, but it was called leaders of discipleship. Okay. Great. So leaders of discipleship, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23 and Colossians 1, 18 talks about how Jesus is our ultimate leader. He is the head of the church. Now, when you look at what the New Testament teaches us about leadership in the church, you have two main offices. So official offices like church offices, Mm. you have the elder or the pastor. So elder and pastor are synonymous. That's what we believe. Now, there are some other traditions. They believe that there's kind of a distinction between elder, pastor, and even bishop. That is not what we see here. Uh, we see those interchangeably. We see those as synonymous. So pastor, elder, even bishop. So those are the overseers of the church. And then you have deacons. They are the servants, the the doers, if you will, of the church, ministers of the church. And then what you have in Ephesians chapter 4 
11 through 12, that they're not offices, but they're leadership descriptions. Mm. So in many translations, you will see Paul write that he gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, those five descriptions there are not offices or official positions in the church. They are more characteristics of the various kinds of leaders in the church and their gift set. Now, what does that word apostle mean for us? Well, apostle, and because again, when he's writing that, you had the the 11 disciples of Jesus, and you're like, well, I thought there were 12. There, there, there were. You had Judas, but Judas goes and hangs himself because he betrays Jesus. Then you have the 11, and then a 12th is added. Do you know who he was? Matthias. Matthias. So, so those, and I say 11 because a lot of times people forget about Matthias, but you can find that in Acts chapter 1. But you have the, the 12 disciples who were there with Jesus for his entire ministry. They become apostles, Mm -hmm. so big A apostles. And Paul is actually going to see himself as an apostle, but he won't see himself as a super apostle the way that the 12 did. Now, he's going to see himself still as a big A apostle, and Mm -hmm. even Peter is going to see Paul like that. And the reason why is because Paul had this unique experience on the road of Damascus where Jesus, he is the one who uh, uh, comes and knocks Paul down and reveals himself to Paul. So so Paul's going to be still a, a large A apostle which is kind of this messenger that that Jesus is going to send to really kind of give, in some sense, give fuel to the birth of the early church, okay? Mm-hmm. But this word apostle in Ephesians 4, it's a small a apostle, mm-hmm. and it just literally means a messenger mm-hmm. or, or a sent one. Mm-hmm. And so you could actually use the word missionary today to describe that word is that you know these missionaries are sent ones they're apostolic they're they're going to do something with with a purpose they're probably taking the gospel to places that are either hard to reach places or places that have never heard and so so when you look at what Paul's outlining there he's given some to be missionaries uh, some to be prophets those who proclaim God's word evangelists those who share uh, the good news, uh, uh, shepherds, those who kind of help to oversee and to care for the flock and those teachers, those who kind of explain. And 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 there are leaders that might have multiple giftings in that regard. Like, so when I look at my, you know, the way that God has wired me, sure, I have a prophetic bent to a lot of my preaching. I have kind of this, when I say shepherding, like I really want to see like kind of a care that that happens within the church and a teaching orientation. And so, you know, but, but there are some that might just have an evangelistic bent. So, but those are not official offices. Those are leadership positions. And so when you look at the the pastor, elder, when you look at the deacon and you look at all of these leaders, these various kinds of leaders in the church, what's the goal? It's to help God's people 
be shaped and conformed into the image of Jesus so that they might learn what it means to be human after the image and likeness of Jesus and so that they might learn what it means to become part of God's new human race after the image and likeness of Jesus. That's the role of leadership in the church. Wonderful. I'm glad you went through that because, you know, the the C for cultivated is we cultivate disciples and leaders. So they are they are unique and distinct. So and and that just and that, and and I did talk about that on the Old Testament side. I mean, I did reference right. you know that you had in some sense three offices, three leadership offices there in Israel: the prophet, the priest, and the king. Yeah. And they would work in some sense tandem with one another to make sure that the people of God, Israel, fully obeyed. So you had the prophet that you could look at them as being the the voice piece of of, of morality. You know, making sure that there was this right relationship between God so that they might relate well in their own life and to others. And then there was this ceremonial, you know, part of the law where that's really where you had the priests. They oversaw the temple and what went into the temple, even with a high priest who led them. And then you had the king who in some sense did oversee all of Israel, but they were over and, you know, the, the governance structure of Israel to make sure that there was this this civil harmony, uh, that there was uh, this glorious beauty and interaction between everyone and even between the surrounding nations. And so all three of these offices came together for this obedience to the covenant that God had entered into with Israel. And so now when you look at the New Testament, okay, so we no longer have the prophet, priest, and king because Jesus has fulfilled those. He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, which is why he's the head of the church. And so that's where when you look at the pastor or the elder, they're usually the ones that are proclaiming the word in response to Jesus, okay? And so so you have, they're the ones who give oversight in the church by preaching and teaching God's word. Hmm. But then you have the, you know, you have kind of like the deacons who are there, who are really ministering to the body, caring, serving the body well. And so, and then you have these leadership descriptions of, of, again, the the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher, making sure that we're being built up into the, because again, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And part of the work of the ministry is us building ourselves up into a holy temple. So, so in some sense, Jesus, he has fulfilled those three offices, but now there are these under shepherds, these pastors and elders, and then you have the deacons and all the these other leaders who are working with the pastors and elders who are exercising oversight to make sure that we're being built up into the temple of the Lord that does reflect his glory and what it means to be part of his new human race. Amen. So have you ever thought about church offices that way? A little bit. Good. <laughs> but but a lot of times, like we, you know, again, like we, we in some sense, like I know I grew up, you know, obviously I grew up in the church. 
But but a lot of times we just saw these offices as, well, th- this is just what's there in the church, but never connecting it to the whole picture right. of what, you know, what God has in some sense been doing and what the ultimate role is of church leadership. Like, right. so that's why, like, I've always, you know, I've always said over the last, oh, I say always said, uh, but over the last, you know, several years, really understanding that pastors and elders, we're the chief sacrificial officers, like it, because we are giving our lives for the sake of Christ's body to make sure that they understand what it means to be human after the image and likeness of Jesus and to be part of God's new human race so his church mm. and so really understanding like that's my, that, like I got to like I've got to sacrifice to make that happen mm. so yeah that's a sober in reality for sure yeah it's a high calling Okay, so as we look at that third question, how does cultivate impact your life? We go back to those uh, three ways to cultivate, embed in community, submit to the word and exercise spiritual disciplines. And uh, for community, you asked the question, or, or you basically just made the statement, you are who you hang around. For word, you said you are what you eat. And for spiritual disciplines, you are what you do. So what are some additional thoughts as we think about this one and as we wrap up this week? Yeah. You know, a couple of thoughts, you know, Paul's going to say bad company corrupts good morals. And again, we know like we we know that you are who you hang around. But even, you know, even the Apostle Paul, he's going to bring that understanding, that truth to light. So who are you hanging around? Who are you embedding yourself in you, you know, and then a couple of things like, and I, I think I, I know at the 11, I didn't get to it, but when you are cultivated more into the image of Jesus, I do believe some things happen. One, you function better at life mm-hmm. and then you experience glimmers of flourishing. Now, mm. here's what I mean by that. So on this side of, when I say on, on the side that we're, we're in right now, which is the you know, kind of the the prelude to new creation. So in this side, we are not going to experience total flourishing. Now we're we're working we're working towards that, right? Which is why I say we're going to experience glimmers. Yeah. But I will say we're going to function better at life. So when you take relate, create, and operate, yeah, and you are embedding yourself into the right community. You are under the the authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. So you're doing all those things that we talk, you know, in some sense mentioned in terms of God's word, and you are exercising spiritual disciplines. What I what I do believe with all of my heart, you are going to be able to function better at life in all of those spheres of relating with one another and God, uh, creating vocation, work, career, and then also operation, your stewardship of your time, your your, your talents, your treasures, etc. Mm. So I believe that you're going to function better at life. And so that's why I would just encourage you once again to look at how you are functioning in your marriage, how you're functioning and parenting, how you are functioning in your work, your vocation, how you are like, and, and maybe you're like, man, this is just kind of messed up right now. Because here's, if Jesus is the center and he is the one who has ushered in new creation, and when we look at creation at the very beginning, when God spoke it into existence, he brought order harmony, functionality, and flourishing in how he created. Right. So if you are taking 
these these spheres of life and through community, word, and spiritual disciplines, you're making Jesus the center and you're learning what it means to be human after his image and likeness and part of the new human race. I promise you, if, if he's at the center and he is the one ushered in new creation, he is going to bring order and harmony and beauty and functionality in your life. And I wanted to, you know, and, and, and this is even how it plays out in my marriage. Like, so Joni and I, we don't have a perfect marriage. So if I don't know if anybody knew that, but I mean, I figured, yeah, I hope everybody figured that, <laughs> but there, but how this even impacts me is that I'm constantly, I'm constantly at least aware of my call to love my wife as Jesus loved the church. And so there are times where, you know, I don't feel like doing something, but this is the discipline because God has called me to relate to my wife the way he's related to me. Then, then I'm going to sac, like I'm, I'm going to discipline, I'm going to sacrifice myself to make sure that I'm doing that. And then also like forgiveness. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, Joni probably has to forgive me more than I have to forgive her in just things. Because she's in some sense bent sacrificially. I mean, like she, she in some sense, she is, she's what we would call a martyr. Mm. Like, you know, because she does think of other, you know, the kids, me more than she thinks of herself. Mm. So, but, but even in this concept of forgiving and being gracious and merciful and, and letting things slide and, and not getting bent out of shape for, in some sense, little things that would, you know, irritate you. Like that is, you know, because those little things may not even be a sin. They just might be points of irritation, yeah. right? But you're going to be gracious and merciful because that's how Jesus, as, as, as how he was and is to you. And so, again, that's going to shape your marriage. I'm like, what if our marriages look more like the way Jesus loved? You know, like, yeah. come on now. It's going, it's yeah. going, you know, and then you're going to feel more contentment and satisfaction because you're going to be feasting on the right things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are going to experience more blessing. Now that again, I don't 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 mistake that for like prosperity gospel. Where if I'm more if I'm shaped more into the image of Jesus, He's just going to give me more money. That, 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 I mean, Jesus, He was poor because it was never about money. But God's presence, His power, His provision is dumped on your life when you are more conformed into His image. You're going to be you're going to experience more peace with God and with others. You're going to feel more whole and not so fragmented and fractured. Uh, you're going to feel like your your life is being built actually upon something solid and stable. Uh, you're going to actually feel strong even when you're like, man, I'm weak. Mm. But you're you're but but it's going it, it is a paradox. Because of Jesus being the center of your life and you being shaped and formed more into his image, you're going to have clear direction in life. Mm. You're going to have a deeper meaning and purpose in life. Here's another thing. As you are more conformed into Jesus's image, you are actually going to become more consistent in life. You're going to become wiser. Mm. You're going to become more balanced. Uh, You're going to actually become more generous (laughs) because as you are conformed more into his image, you are going to actually demonstrate more of the characteristics and nature and attributes of Jesus. Here's the last thing that I would say. The brightness of our witness in the world is tied to the cultivation of our formation in Jesus's image and likeness. Hmm. So let me say that again. 
the brightness of our witness in the world is tied to the cultivation of our formation as Jesus's followers. And so if we truly want to be a bright witness for Jesus in a dark world, we will focus on the cultivation of our formation in his image and likeness. And I promise you, any person who has ever been hurt by the church to, I mean, with me, I mean, sure, maybe there are caveats to that because maybe somebody was hurt by the church because they confronted you because of sin. Well, I'm sorry that hurt your feelings, but they had every right if you were part of the church and you had this horrendous public sin and they, and they confronted you in love and said, Hey, you don't do that as a follower of Jesus. And that hurt your feelings. I, you know, I, I'm not sorry. Okay. For, for that. But, but here's what I know. Most church hurt today is not because of, of that. It's because they have, they have either been not shaped in that area or they have been failed or they have failed to be shaped in an area. And so that's why I'm like, you know, so that's why it's important for us to get the cultivation of our formation right. Yeah, and, and and everything that you just laid out in terms of functioning, order, harmony, wiser, balanced, peace, wholeness, that is a compelling witness. You, you know, we, we, we talk about what the what why the world would even care about Jesus or the Bible. This is why, right? This is a compelling witness because they are we all have experienced it fragmented and we're all yearning and searching for something. And what you just laid out, a watching world can't help but take notice and want some of that. Which goes back. Well, and we'll end on this. How about that? Great. Because I just looked at the time and I'm like, yeah, we could keep on talking. Which is why it goes back to you will be a royal priesthood, mm. a holy nation. Yeah. I want you to be distinct because that is a way that I will manifest my presence Mm. in the world. And which is why Peter would say, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Mm. So Northland family and friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Extra Takes. I definitely pray that you would have this passion for the Lord through the work of the Spirit and embedded in his community to shape and conform you more into the image of our glorious and beautiful King. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.